Hello and welcome to A's Plus, the San Francisco Chronicles podcast on the Oakland A's and Major League Baseball. I'm your host, Chronicle A's beat writer Susan Slusser, and today's guest is Andy McCullough, the national baseball writer for the LA Times, who joins us to talk about his view of the A's, his memories of the 2014 wildcard game, and his thoughts on Billy Butler, Farhan Zaidi, and Max Muncy. All next on A's Plus. Guest today on A's Plus is the LA Times Nash, now national baseball writer, which sounds weird for me to say, Andy McCullough. Andy uh, was previously the Dodgers beat writer. Um, I guess uh, too much success for that team, so you had to kind of go uh, national. And then um, before that, the Kansas City Royals beat writer took them, you know, pretty much all the way, well, close to all the way. So, yeah, here you are now a national guy. How's that going? Uh, it's been fine. Um, yeah, the uh, of the last five years on the beat, the four of those teams went to the World Series. Uh, only one won, though, so um, like uh, sort of like the Buffalo Bills of beat writers. Um, yeah, the new job's fine. I mean, it's definitely different uh, trying to, you know, tell national stories, also still doing a lot of Dodgers stuff. Uh, not so much Angel stuff, but still a lot of Dodgers stuff. And so, uh, yeah, here checking on the, uh, the local nine for the Oakland Athletics this weekend. Yes, and what are your impressions from afar? Because obviously they're a team you used to see quite a lot uh, in Kansas City, including in the uh, infamous from the Oakland side wild card game in 2014. What's your current impression? And then we'll, maybe we'll talk a little bit about that wild card game. Yeah, I mean, my I, with teams like the A's and the Rays, I think from like an aesthetic perspective, there's something admirable about their ability to continuously contend without spending a lot. And then also you wonder why they're not spending a lot. So it's kind of like, it's hard to know uh, whether you want to look at this uh, sort of operation is like, wow, that's really impressive, or just think like, maybe you should just spend some more money. And obviously it's more complicated than that, but um, you know, for what they have chosen to spend and the way they choose to go about their business, it's really impressive just to see the way they continuously you know, rebuild the roster and find pieces and find value in guys. Um, you know, the, the, the acquisition of Chris Davis always comes to mind as like the sort of uh, what teams that are in rebuilding mode should be trying to do. So, um, you know, the, it's uh, I, I think baseball is better when the A's are good because it can be such a good atmosphere at the Coliseum. And so, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, they'll be able to make things interesting this summer. Yeah, I think it's easy for somebody to cover the Dodgers to say, why don't you just spend more money? Sure, (laughs) sure. I mean, and and like... You know, I, I, we can't look at the books of what the, you know, the, the team makes, and obviously you know more about this than I do. And the stadium situation has been a mess for a really long time. And I just think losing their revenue share. This is our last year. Of revenue yeah, share. yeah. I mean, I think it's just one of those things where, in a general perspective, like in a, in a general perspective, I don't like teams being applauded for not spending money. Right, they're owned by a billionaire. Correct. So, like, it's and and so you have to look a little bit deeper to understand why that is before. Like, I'm not one of these like saber guys. It's just like, oh, I love what the Rays are doing. It's like, well, should the Rays exist is like the real question, right? Like it's more existential. It's very blunt. I mean, but it's true though, right? Like should they exist? Like is this a good thing for baseball that this team is here rather than having a third team in New York or or, or whatever, you know? And to be clear, he said Rays, not A's. Should the, <laughs> do you feel like the A's should exist? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, no, no. Because like they have a fan base and they have people who care about them. I would, I would kick you off this, this podcast right now. 
I think, I mean, I've been, I probably still get death threats from the beanball war of 2015 oh, in, in April of 2015. And I'm sure you get them far worse from Royals fans. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's a passionate fan base. So, yes, that, from, from an existential perspective, the Oakland A's should exist. Yeah, we both got we both got a cut in the backlash of that beanball thing. Yeah, it was a little dumb. I, for, for a while, I was telling people that my hobby was muting or blocking Royals fans on Twitter, which I was spending a large portion of my day doing that. That was... What happened there? What was it? Uh, uh, Lawry spiked yeah, Escobar. Spiked Escobar. And so and the Royals just threw at people yeah, for like four days, yeah, in a row. four days in a row. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was bad. And there was it, the whole phone call. Oh, Lawry yeah. got from Escobar, but then Escobar said he didn't, right. even though he did. He showed me the text. Right. He liked So he, Royals fans thought I had made up the text that yeah. Brett Lawry showed me on his phone and let me take a photo of. Right. You had a screen grab of it. I think yeah. most likely Lawry texted a, the wrong number or something. Right. Or, 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 I mean, whatever. I mean, yeah. that seems to be Occam's razor of, like, if you know ball players, they all have, like, seven phones. Right. So well, most I think likely. the answer he got was something like, like, we, you, we all know what you did. Sort of right. Thing. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. Anyway, somebody was familiar with the play anyways yeah. yeah it was a little weird thing that doesn't feel that was that doesn't feel that actually wasn't a long time ago but it feels like like eons ago yeah. I guess yeah so there's been a lot of strange history between obviously the year before the A's were still bitter in 2015 yeah. from the the wild card game which yeah. was I think was a scarring experience for A's fans the A's franchise in general um, but probably really one of the great moments from the Royals perspective that crazy back and forth wild card game what what were your memories of that um not a fun game to cover nope. uh not a, not a good one to write about uh that was that's what um it you know it's interesting because like that was the that was a, that's an iconic moment for the royals right i mean they hadn't been in the postseason in 29 years i think at that point um you know there was a lot of uh tension that entire year there was a thought that if they didn't make the playoffs you know dayton moore and ned yost might get fired because they've been you know dayton moore have been doing that job since 2006 and hadn't made it to the playoffs and so um and there was questions like is this enough you know like i i remember i remember distinctly in that press box after Jordano ventura gave up the home to Moss was it Brandon Moss in the sixth inning I remember I was writing and you know like I was I was a lot angrier then uh you know I'm not I'm not a I'm a, I'm a lot I'm a lot softer now but I I basically turned to Sam Mellinger the columnist at the star and was like hey I'm gonna go after Ned pretty hard in the lead and uh and he goes uh, yeah no I'm firing him in my column and uh I don't want to say who the other national reporter was but it was a very prominent national Jeff reporter it no Jeff it was not, no no a national reporter like someone people have heard of right. not That's some dweeb in a suit yeah, okay. um, breaking draft picks uh, no it was a it was it was yeah it was great yeah uh, no but it was someone else who uh, just it was a, 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 a prominent national guy turned to me and said I'm firing Ned too wow. like wow. it was like he's gone like right. this has to be his last act as as manager of the Royals he cannot return for next year and then and then you know, singing a different tune later in the day <laughs> well you know, and then the the Royals uh, basically finally, or not finally, because they've been doing it for earlier in the game, but they really committed to taking advantage of John Lester's yips, and uh, it's something that I guess really became public knowledge that night that he could not throw to bases, and the Royals were the first team, and really 
the last team too, to his credit, to like really exploit him in that yeah, in that scenario. Seven stolen bases, and it was after Giovanni Soto left with a thumb injury, and Derek Norris, who was not as good at holding runners close, with some outs, and that was a huge thing. And and Soto hurt his hand, I think, on a blown double steal. Like Billy Butler uh, botched the uh, timing on a, on a double steal, and Eric Hosmer was caught at the plate, and and Soto hurt his thumb, and that like. It, it kind of a weird play in the first inning really had big repercussions later in the game. Yeah, and then the A's decide to go and sign Billy Butler in the offseason, which I'm sure was a, I think A's fans are still wondering about, is, is obviously his A's career was not uh, much to write home about. Were you surprised that he did not wind up having a better time of it? It was a three-year deal, and he didn't even make it through the, the second year. I I didn't think it would go as poorly as it did. I didn't think it would go well. I mean, I you know, Billy was always uh, an interesting guy to cover, always very professional, um, you know, even during one sort of amusing phase where he was politely turning down interview requests. But anyway, I, he was – I always liked covering Billy. I thought he was a good guy. I thought he tried hard, um, you know, had interesting relationships with his teammates. Um, had, had a – yeah, you know, had a, had an interesting way about him. But I, I, I think Billy's a, a good guy, and it's, it's – uh, you know, it's never – you never want to root for guys to like be terrible, which is what he was. Um, so I'm just trying to phrase this like gently, but basically, like, there a Royals executive at the GM meetings because the Royals wanted to bring him back, but they wanted to bring him back basically on a one year deal. And I think Billy wanted to come back, but he wanted to come back on a multi year deal. So they were, they, I think they were talking about the framework of what a two year contract would look like. And a Royals executive said something to me at the GM meetings that year. He said, I heard a rumor that can't be true. I said, what? He said, I heard Billy's got a three-year deal on the table. And I said, that, no. That sounds crazy. That doesn't sound right. That doesn't sound right. And then, you know, knowing that the A's do not throw money around casually, it was like, well, they, I mean, there's got to be something. I mean, they have to see, because, because Butler had been a very effective hitter for several years, but in 14, he really started to decline. His power dipped. He was hitting a lot of ground balls. And uh, so there was like, it was like, man, there's got to be, they see something. Uh, it's a hard hit ball rate. Yeah. Yeah, how'd that go? Yeah, I guess maybe not always always a great indicator. Yeah, so it's one of those where I think, like, you give the organization the benefit of the doubt. You're like, hey, look, the A's, you know, they know what they're doing. They don't spend money, you know, they, they don't spend money loosely. So, but it just, yeah, disaster. Yeah, disaster. yeah that was not a, not the A's best offseason because that's when they traded Josh Donaldson. Oh, my god. And they signed Billy Butler. So yeah. that kind of that's you, it helps and explain some of the three years in a row of last place finishes. It's, it's losing Farhan was what it was. That was, Farhan. <laughs> that was going to be my next question because, of course, Farhan uh, was a longtime A's. Farhan Zaidi was a A's longtime assistant general manager, uh, one of my favorite people to deal with in baseball, uh, still is. And then, of course, was the general manager of the Dodgers when he covered the Dodgers, and now he's with the Giants. What are your thoughts on sort of his, the, the, his career trajectory to this point? I mean, I find this year specifically what he's dealing with with the Giants to just be fascinating. Like, I, I really. Um, you know, I, I it's funny. I get people, my friends in the industry, and even fans know that I write about Farhan probably too much because, uh, yeah, I mean, you, you've been through this. You know, I have. When you have multiple members of the Zaidi family in your phone, you know people. You know, uh, they're they're a very impressive group of people, uh, and they're fun to talk to. And um, so I, I've tried to sort of shy away from writing too much about Farhan and the Giants, but I just think that whole mess is just 
like really interesting because you've got someone who was brought in to fix a franchise that was really floundering and yet is still so close to having been a champion and retains so much personnel on the field and off the field who had their fingerprints all over that, you know, dynasty. And it's like, how do you, how do you tell people the way you've been doing things, you've been doing things wrong when you've won three titles? Right. Like, and that is kind of the, the big picture question that I think he's confronting. I don't think he would phrase it that bluntly, I think, because obviously there are things that the Giants do that, you know, they won three titles. They're doing something right. Yes. But they're also doing enough wrong that they were in a, they, he inherited a train wreck of a roster and a minor league system. So there's stuff that needs to be corrected, but it's like, how do you, how do you turn that around? And I think that that's just really interesting to me. And it's obviously not going great. Um, and so I, I mean, I'm curious, like, what what is your sense of how people in San Francisco and the Bay Area are handling this season? Uh, you know what? I think that my sense, and you know, obviously I'm covering the A's, sure. not the Giants, but I do I do see some of the Farhan reaction. I think they're willing to maybe give them a year or two, and and would like to. See See some signs, you know, maybe within the next year that at least something's going well. A good draft, um, some somebody coming in that, that looks yeah. good, a big signing, perhaps something yeah. like that would uh, would go well. But I think that everybody understood that there were some serious issues there that need to be fixed. I think people are most more focused right now on this being Bochy's last year, uh, and it's it is a shame that this has just been such a dismal year when yeah. it's also his last year because he deserves better. Yeah, and that that's a shame. And I think, you know, it's. Um, it is, you know, the giant. Look, like I think baseball is better when the iconic franchises are good, you know. And I, I view the Giants as one of those. I think the A's are one of those. Like I mean, they're a, a major part of baseball history, you know. Um, so it's it's a it's like weird, like turning on, you know, like a game in San Francisco and it's like half full. You're like this, well, that's strange. Um, so yeah, but I'm I'm curious to see like how it affects the Dodgers moving forward. You know, if like because Farhan is going to be you know, looking for the same type of players who Andrew Friedman and his guys in L.A. are looking for. You know, Farhan's the guy who obviously here, you know, was, had the Cespedes uh, thing and the Moss Manifesto and all that stuff. And uh, with the Dodgers, it was Chris Taylor and it was Max Muncie. And so, you know, they're going to be fishing in the same pool. And so I'm curious to see how that really does affect the Dodgers because they basically had their, like, their foot on the throat of the National League West for six years now, seven years. So. Yeah, and Farhan did have a big – and he, he, he kept making deals with the A's too to get some of the guys that he like best or, the, or signing the signing say the Brandon McCarthy's and the Brett Anderson's and etc. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's there was a certain teams who they were very comfortable dealing with. Like I think that doing the you know the, the Rich Hill Josh, Josh Reddick deal comes to mind, and you know they uh, it's a I mean that was a pretty fair deal I think for both sides. And one of the reasons they were able to do it is because the A's and you know sort of David Forrest and Billy Bean had such a good relationship with Farhan that they could be pretty blunt about it and just get things done. The rise of Max Muncie is one of the craziest things to me that's ever happened because by the time he the A's basically just let him go. I mean they they pretty much just given up on him. I think they thought he was not going to turn into the player that they had hoped. Uh, and obviously he's turned into a, you know, significant player. Yeah. So as watching that with the Dodgers, what was it like from that side? Was it was it the surprise it was to all of us? I mean, yeah. The, the thing with the Dodgers, they they churn over their roster so quickly and guys come and guys go and so like as a beat writer, 
you never really can tell like who you, like who you should really care about or who's just going to be there for three days. And Muncie kind of fit in that. I, I will say at spring training in eighteen, I was like, you know, Ken Gurnick, the legendary Dodgers.com guy, and I were talking. We're like, that guy seems to hit the ball hard a lot. I'm like, who is that guy? He's like, that's Max Muncie. I'm like, when did they get him? And he's like, they signed him on a minor league deal like a year ago. And I'm like, oh okay. Like I, you know, I I only covered the team. I how can I? How can I know who's on their AAA roster, you know? Uh, I mean, that's just crazy. Yeah, like, why would you? you that's like, a lot. No, a that's a lot. A minor league that's a lot. Sure. But he, they signed him in 17, like, right after, you know, right after the A's cut him. Um, I think Farhan texted him and said, do you want a job? And he took a couple weeks and, you know, worked on a swing with his dad, I guess. And then he spent all of 17 in, in OKC. He came up because of an injury in 18 uh, and then basically, like, kind of took off. Like, he had a... They, they played a doubleheader and he against the Nats. He hit a homer off Scherzer, and then he hit a couple hits in the second game. And, like, they, they just – I mean, he ended up hitting 30-something homers last year, and he's doing pretty well this year. And so I'm actually curious. Like, one of the things that I would like to write about at some point later in the year is, like, what do – what do the A's learn from that? You know, like, what what do you – like, when, when you – give up on a guy or make an evaluation mistake like how can you turn that into a positive for your organization you know I, I find that to be how do you avoid that but I mean everybody does that that's, and, how, that's why right. the A's have Chris Davis right I mean exactly yeah exactly so I just think it's interesting it's interesting also just from from the team who lost his perspective it's like okay what if there was something that we did wrong or that needs to be corrected what is it I don't know what that necessarily would be because it seems like they gave him a lot of chances yeah they gave him a lot of chances and I can just say as a beat writer having seen him a ton you know I understood why they let him go like well okay yeah he just hasn't panned out you know you go he doesn't pan out maybe he's a 4a kind of guy or whatever he didn't have enough power to stick right was that the main thing like he struck out a little too much and defensively he wasn't you know like the the glove wasn't quite enough to make up for maybe the he wasn't hit yeah it was crazy but i was at disneyland today i saw somebody wearing a max muncy jersey and i was like (laughs) i almost fell over like i still surprises me but yeah yeah, i mean he he fits like and also i think too when he when you join a team like the Dodgers, where every day they're running out all stars, you know Justin Turner, Cody Bellinger, Corey Seager, uh, Manny Machado last year, you know I mean David Freeze plays for them. Like when you, it's easy to fit in easily, and I think that's one thing that they have created is like if you come up and you play well, you're going to get protected in the lineup. You're not going to be the focal point of what the other team is trying to do. And so if you, you know, he's he's. I, I, yeah, it's it's it was definitely surprising because there's so many guys who the, the Dodgers churn through where you're like, oh, this guy could be the eighth inning guy in uh, October, or you'll never see him again. You just it's just about performance, I guess. Yeah, that's great. I'm going to ask you really quickly since I do know you get down here and see the Angels some, and obviously they're in the ace division. What are your what are your thoughts on the the Angels this year? Um, obviously, like most of the teams in the AL West, except for the Astros, they have their flaws. Yeah, I mean, then you, you really start. Maybe they should put the Rays in Anaheim. That would be good. <laughs> I don't know. That down on them. Should I just, they exist? I, <laughs> That's your bar. No, I mean, it can be a little dispiriting coming to see games here. Um, I just think. I, I just think they, you know, they. it's not like they don't spend money. They spend some, but, you know, they'd spend $11 million on Matt Harvey. He's been. Not very good. And you know what? He wasn't very good last year. They spent a lot of money on, you know, Trevor Cahill. They've spent, but they haven't spent it particularly well. And um, you got Mike Trout. That's a good start, you know. Uh, Like, I think there was this – there was some stuff written, you know, like – 
after they they locked up Mike Trout for the for that 12-year deal, the idea that like, well, the Angels have Mike Trout and Shohei Otani and Joe Adele, who's like their top outfit prospects. Like, that's a pretty good quarter build around. He goes, no, it's not. It's uh, you, you need a hundred people. Yeah. It, it, I mean, if there's anything we've learned from the Dodgers, the Astros, the Cubs, you know, the Red Sox last year, just all the good teams, you need dozens of good players. I mean, the A's do it, the Rays do it. You know, you you can't just build, you can't just have one. I mean, Mike Trout's, I mean, he's probably the best player of all time. I'd like to see anyone better, you know what I mean? Like, and if he's if he's not, he's in the top five very easily. But it's not enough. You have to have a rotation. You have to have a bullpen. You have to have a farm system that has, you know, uh, that creates a caravan back and forth with AAA where you can, you know, keep guys fresh. Um, so it's just like, it's like you give a team the greatest asset imaginable and they don't do the other things and so it's just kind of like it's like depressing you know it's depressing to see like Mike Trout take a great at bat in the eighth inning of an eight to three loss to the Minnesota Twins because you're like this is just like this is year after year it's just squandered like he hasn't been in the playoffs since 2014 he's they're probably not going to be there this year yeah I, there's no reason to think they'll be there next year. Like, it's so, um, yeah, I mean, it's just, that's, yeah, that's really existential. But, like, I I don't know. It's it's a bummer sometimes. Like, why do they exist? Should they exist? Well, I mean, why do any of us yeah, at exists. this point, you know? But, but That's our next podcast. Yeah, that's fine. You should have Passin on. Why does Passin exist? That would be Why good. does Passin exist? Well, I'll pose that to him <laughs> next time I'm in Casey. <laughs> Andy McCullough from the L.A. Times, thanks so much for joining us on A's Plus. Thank you for having me. This was fun. You can find Andy McCullough's work on latimes.com, and he's on Twitter, at McCullough Times. Our producers today were King Kaufman and Libby Coleman. We'll be back later this week with more A's Plus. Thanks for listening. A's Plus is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Audrey Cooper is the editor-in-chief. If you like this show, we'd love it if you'd subscribe to it wherever you get your podcasts. And if you've got a minute to give us a quick review, that helps us build our audience so we can keep growing. Follow me on Twitter, at Susan Slusser. Support A's Plus and a lot of great journalism with a subscription to the San Francisco Chronicle. There are print and digital editions. Find out more at sanfranciscochronicle.com slash subscribe.